So Timex, the watch company, did uh, some survey, some research, and I, I, I found it really interesting. They asked people, and they, they came up with the average of how long people would wait or how long people would take before they did something. So I'm going to put them up on the screen so that you can see them. So here's what the, the averages were. People said that they would at, wait on average 13 seconds before they honk a car that's in front of us that stopped at a green light. I, I'm just going to go on the record and say that I'm doing everything I can to bring that average down because 13 <laughs> seconds, 13, the light's going to turn red before 13 seconds goes by. You get to the count of three and I'm on the horn. 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking in a movie theater. The average is 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. So if you need to go get coffee or something, you got half a minute till someone takes your seat. 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. That's that's interesting. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave, which means we're more desperate for relationships than we are food because 13 minutes for a table... 20 minutes for the person we've never met before. 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in and we go, Aunt Susie's just not going to make it. We'll, we're going to eat without her. So, you know, time, time's important to us. And, and time is, I've heard people say this, and I think we could say this is true. I'm sure somebody could go and get real technical and find something else. But time is the, the commodity that we have that we cannot replenish. You can make more money. You can, you can go get a, a second job or get a job that pays more and, and make more money than you currently have right now. You can get extra relationships. You, can, you could go next door and knock on your neighbor's house and invite them over for dinner and begin to cultivate that relationship and have one more friend than you have today. You can, you can replace stuff. I mean, you, you know, you can... You can get another car. You can even get another house. But once, once you've spent time, you can't get it back again. And so it is this, it's this commodity that comes one of the most precious commodities that we have because it's irreplaceable. And you know, you guys will, you'll feel this. On Wednesday night, it'd be totally different. But you, you know, like I do, that the older you get, the faster it feels like time moves, Right? And when you're younger, it feels like it's so slow. I, I remember as a kid, nine years old, thinking about the year 2000. And I mean, I did the math in my head. I'm gonna, I mean, I'll be 25 years old. And I remember as a kid thinking, I hope I can make it till then. You know, like <laughs> 2000, that's so far away. And Prince and I, we're going to party like it's 1999. And, you know, it, it just seemed like it would never get there. Now, 16 years on the other side of 2000, I feel like it was yesterday at times, right? I mean, you look back and, and you have these moments as an adult where someone talks about an event and you go, oh yeah, and you just start talking about it and you realize like an event in history or something like that, that, you're, that your kids have no clue what you're talking about. And then you start doing the math and you're like, oh, they weren't even born. That was like, it was 10 years before they were born, you know, and it just goes so fast or feels like it goes so fast when you get to our age as opposed to a teenager's age where it goes, uh, feels like it goes really slow. And we know it can't be replaced. <coughs> Excuse me. We know that we, 
Even some of you, when I was saying it's this commodity, you can't replace them, you had this look on your face like, yeah, I never thought about that. Inherently, we know that, though. We know that these moments that we have now, if we miss them, that we may not get them back. We know, especially at our age, that, that how quickly it goes. And so because of that, a lot of us, and, and then we, we actually do this for our children as well, we, we fill our calendars up and we fill our time up so that there's no dead space, so that it's all used because we don't want to waste. We don't want to waste money. We don't want to waste relationships. We don't want to waste stuff. You, you have things like I do, probably like in your house, an appliance, and, and it's, it stops working. You know, it's a can opener or something like that. And you're like, man, I can't believe this can opener doesn't work anymore. It's 27 years old, you know, but like, we, man, I can't believe it broke. And well, sometimes we just have to replace those things and, and we have to go after it. And so we, we, we want to save them. We want to use everything up till the very last. And so we do that with our time. I, I want to make sure that, that every moment is used and that nothing is wasted. And so we fill our calendars up and, and what's happening now in a generation We've got a, a generation of teenagers who are mimicking their parents, that's us, who are the busiest generation that there's ever been. Because anytime we have a moment to say yes to something, if there's a calendar spot for it, or if we can move things on the calendar and shove them around so that we can add another thing in so that we don't waste time or waste an experience, we say yes. And we're starting to reap the consequences of that time-saving, time-usage mentality. In fact, there's a lady, her name is Dr. Susan Coven. She's at Massachusetts General Hospital. And in 2013, she wrote an article for the Boston Globe, and she said that she is seeing, as a doctor, a new epidemic of symptoms of an illness. And here, here are the symptoms. Fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel problems, back pain, and weight gain. And what she said in this Boston Globe article, she said, you know, there, there are no blood tests and there's no x-rays that are going to show you what it is. She said, they're the symptoms of a culture that is overly busy. We just go, 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 and it's taking a toll on, on our, even our physical health because we have this idea, there's this tension here that I've got to use all of this time because it's going away and that's, that feels right. But we've, we're using it in such a manner that it's actually hurting us. And, and you've probably sensed this as, as parents. There's times where it's hurting our kids. You sense that at all in your home? No? Yes, some of you? I sense that, that we said yes to so many things that we're looking at kids who don't sleep well, who are stressed out, who can't find a great balance and who never have a time to recreate or, or replenish their soul because we've said yes to everything. There's a leadership principle mixed in there, and it's not just about time. It's about commitments. It's about a lot of things. But the leadership principle is this, that good is the enemy of great. We say yes to so many things because they're good, and we fill our calendars full of good things, so full that we can never experience great things. And so we have this, this tension that we wrestle with now, maybe more than ever as a culture, of what do we do with time? I don't want to waste it, but I also don't want to drive my family into the grave. And so I want to suggest to us this week, as we look through some scripture, and as you take out the, uh, the yap when you get home, there's some, there's some questions in there for you to talk through with your kids sometime during the week. 
Is it possible that the way that we manage time and the way that we view time could be something or should be something that makes us as followers of Jesus very different than everyone else? Maybe we shouldn't look at time as something that has to be filled. Maybe we look at time as a kingdom commodity. And what I mean by that is maybe we begin to refocus what way we use our time to go, you know what? God has given me this time for a reason, and there's an important reason for it. There's some, there's some things that, that God has put out in front of me that this time is meant to accomplish. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is one of the passages of Scripture we'll look at this week on Wednesday night with your students, and next Sunday they'll look at it down in the room uh, with their small group leaders. But I'm hoping you'll go back to this as a family some. So if you read through Ephesians, fantastic letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church at Ephesus. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul, Paul's written 13 of the 27 books or letters inside the New Testament. He's a power player of the New Testament times. He was a a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee who understood the Jewish law and understood the Old Testament well. And he has this encounter that's recorded in the book of Acts where he meets the risen Jesus face to face and his life is totally transformed. And he ends up becoming this, this missionary that goes all across uh, the, the Mediterranean coast, planting churches and, and telling people about Jesus. And he's, 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 he's a great uh, order, not necessarily with his words, but with his logic. And he convinces people who, who, who worship in the Greek mindset that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is God incarnate. And so he plants all these churches. Ephesus was one of these. And as he's gone around to these different churches, he plants for a while, then moves on and plants another. He's written letters that go back to these churches and to the churches in their area to help them deal with issues that they're facing. Can you imagine that? Like a church that has like issues and people all gather together. They don't always see the world the same way. And so we have a, co- a collection of these letters that make up our New Testament. Well, in Ephesians, that's what it is. It's a letter. When it's written, there's no, there's no chapters, there's no verses. It's a letter like you or I might write one. The second half of that letter, though, is, is very practical. Paul is giving the church really uh, application-oriented thoughts on how you can be different. In fact, if you read through Ephesians 4 and, and kind of into 5, he sets up several contrasts. He contrasts the old self who you were before Jesus, with the new self, who you are now that you know Jesus. And he contrasts those as, as two different beings. <clears throat> in these next couple of verses, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, he contrasts light and darkness. And he, and he encourages believers to be in the light. He, he gives another contrast. He says, you're to be imitators of God as opposed to imitators of the world. And so he's drawing this very clear line for the readers and for us. Hey, there should be something different. Light and darkness are not the same. Old self and new self are not the same. Imitators of God and imitators of the world are not the same. We're supposed to look different. And he gives them several kind of bullet points almost, if you will. Here's what you can do to be different. And in the midst of those, we find verse 15. Look at it. He says, look carefully then how you walk not as wise, but as unwise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 15 says, look carefully. He says, look, that that Greek word means diligently, circumspectly, look all around. Actually, that word can be translated perfectly. So, So this is not just like give a casual review of how you use your time. He says, look carefully, 
Be diligent. A couple of years ago, it was about this time of the year, November, December, um, is when I, I end up coming into the year, and I, I have vacation days, like the, the church gives me, and it, it, we don't roll them over, so if you don't use them, you lose them. And so usually around October, I'm looking at this, this list of days, I'm like, I got to use these up. And so I start putting like, okay, I'm just going to be off every Thursday. And then here's some days around Thanksgiving. And then Christmas, kind of the last two weeks, I don't come in the office. There's nothing happening anyway. And use up those days. Well, it was end of December and um, that the church budget year is coming to a close. And so I have on my computer that our office uses, we keep all of the youth ministry budget on Excel spreadsheet. Every, every receipt, everything we spend goes into its different budget line items. The church does that, but we keep it for a couple reasons. One, if the financial uh, lady is out and we need to know how much money do we have in this account, can we purchase this for Collide or can we do this? We can just you know, look at a glance because it's on our computer. But also, you can imagine with the numbers of receipts that a church of our size does, occasionally someone miscodes something and they, they put it and it goes into the youth ministry budget. And so we want to be able to track and go, well, hey, that's, that's not ours. You know, we didn't. We didn't buy that. That was something that got miscoded so that things don't get confused. So we're coming into the end of the year, and I've looked to kind of see where we're going to end because I don't want to, you know, get in trouble. And we're like $3,000 in the black, doing well, got like a week left. We're going to finish, finish good, and so not worried about it. But I'm also thinking, I keep this list of things because sometimes people come in at the end of the year, and what they do is they walk in on like December 29th to the church office, and they go, they're, they're like an end of year giving for taxes. And they go, hey, we want to write a check to the youth ministry for like, you know, X amount of dollars. And, and what they don't realize is when they hand it like December 29th, it gives me two days to use it or it disappears because of the end of the church year. So I, I'm looking at how much money we have. I've got some things that I know that, that we could use, haven't bought. So kind of doing this. And so I, I, I call up or send an email up to the financial office here at the church to find out how close my number, like 3,000 in the black, is to the actual number because that's what my number doesn't count. It's the actual number that counts. So I send an email. I'm like, you know, hey, just check in. What's the uh, youth ministry account at? And she sends uh, a, an email back and says, negative $4,000. You're $4,000 in the red. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I said, send me. So now I'm on vacation. I'm sitting in my office in my house. I said, send me, send me stuff. So she sent, I, I have to get the last, 12 months of every account in the youth ministry and like youth camp, like youth camp, you realize that like just youth camp alone is right at about 180 to $200,000 of in and out between 19 different churches and things like that. And so you can imagine, and so I've got the list and I've got, and I'm just going through Mark and Mark, Mark. And of course, you know, we've turned in four receipts that are itemized out, and then it gets put into the system all combined all day long, all day long. But I'm going through this budget because this is an, an important thing. Like, it's a $7,000 difference. So I'm going through trying to find out what has happened along the way that, that these things don't match. And I mean, it's line by line, item by item. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, look, carefully. Look perfectly. This matters. This is not like, ah, I think I'm doing okay with my time. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He says, we need 
wisdom. We, you know, wisdom is, is the compilation of, of knowledge as well as experience, as well as good judgment. He, he's not looking for us to go, yeah, I know how I should use my time. He's saying, take what you know and your experience and make some good judgments about that as you kind of look back at your calendar and you look back at your day and you look back at the last hour of how you use your time so that you will, verse 18, make the best use of it. He says, examine yourself, look, look at every detail, look in every crevice and answer this question. Am I using my time as a kingdom commodity? Am I using my time that God has given me to accomplish the things that God has called me to accomplish? And he tells us at the end of that verse, he said, because the days are evil, because we're in a spiritual battle, because there is eternity at stake for people that are around you, because how we use our time now affects mom and dad, how your children use their time as they become adults. How we use our time now paints a picture to our children who will paint a picture to our grandchildren, who will paint a picture to our great-grandchildren of what's really important. And so Paul says, be, be, be serious about this. Look at your time. Are you using your time as a kingdom commodity? Are you, are you using your time to accomplish the things that God has purposed for you to accomplish because the days are evil? He's already given us that picture. There's light and there's dark. There's an old self and there's a new self. The, 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 these moments, they matter. If you go back, we're not gonna flip there, but there's this, there's this time in the Gospels where Jesus is talking with his disciples. And even if you're not familiar with the Bible really well, you will probably recognize this moment. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And Jesus gives them what we've, called, we've coined now the Lord's Prayer. And in that, one of those lines that he gives is, hey, this is how you pray. One of those lines to teach the disciples is to pray, your kingdom come, your God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer that Jesus had his disciples learn, confess this. We, we are about bringing the kingdom of God here. God's will and God's purposes and what God's plans are that we will live in one day as a follower of Jesus. We, we've been given time to use as a commodity for the kingdom to make the kingdom of God become real and embodied here in the here and now. Does that make sense? I mean, so, so time is not just something that's bleeding. Time is something that's this kingdom commodity that God has given us to take care of. Now, last week, we talked about decision-making. And of course, those two go hand in hand as we decide how we use our time. But last week, we talked about kind of what's the difference between me as a follower of Jesus and, and a neighbor of mine who doesn't follow Jesus. It should be that I see my decision-making process by not asking the foundational question of what is best for me in this decision, but what brings the most glory to God. Well, in that discussion last week, and it's on iTunes, you can download it and listen to it if you missed it and you're interested in that. We talked about one of the dangers of that decision-making process is it's kind of misinterpreting and thinking, you know what? Well, if all of my decisions have to be, well, I'm going to have to sell everything I have and, and move to Australia to take the gospel to aborigines and kangaroos and, you know, and I got to go where the gospel's not. So I'm selling everything. I'm leaving my friends and my family. If God has called you to be a missionary, you better do that. But we saw in that passage of Scripture 
that Jesus' prayer, when he's making this decision between him and the glory of God, what brings glory to God? Do you remember what it was? Not my will, but yours, God, be done. And so we talked about that. Some of you, God has purpose for you. His will for your life is to be a teacher. It's to be an accountant. For me, it was to be a youth minister, or, or is to be a youth minister. And so for me to do something different at this point in my life would not be inside the will of God, would not bring glory to God. But I've got a dad, I've got a father who loves Jesus. He's a, a leader in his church. He's on every committee that their church can like dream up to make. Uh, he's a deacon. But his calling that God has called him to do at this stage in his life is to help people with their finances. And so he, he works with a company and helps people with life insurance and investments and things like that. That is not that's not a holy calling for me and a worldly calling for him. It's a holy calling for him. That's what God has called him to do. And so he, he uses, uses the time in which he's doing that to make kingdom things happen. Now, sometimes we look at things like what I do, a ministerial role, a missionary, we go, well, that's holy. But as my dad who follows Jesus can sit down in the home with a family and help them get their finances all on track, he might save their marriage he might save their children's future. And through those conversations, he has the opportunity for them to see Jesus in him. And he has an opportunity to bring glory to God in the conversations that he has as he talks about money and biblical financial principles. You see, see that the, so the danger is, oh, you got to go be a missionary in every decision you make, sell everything you have. The, the danger here is equally true that we go, okay, well, what you're telling me is every spare second I have, or, or, or not even just spare seconds. Maybe I should go quit my job because that's eight hours a day at the office where I could be out walking through Wolf Ranch sharing the gospel with people. If God has called you to do that. Don't let me stand in the way. But I'm not sure God's called you to that. What God has called you to do is to use your time as a kingdom commodity and you use that kingdom commodity in, in what, the, what his will is for you, what he's called you to do. I want you to flip over. I want you to see this interesting story in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 1. Because I want, us to, I want us to dispel the myth that if you're not in church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you're not out at Wolf Ranch passing out tracts after the service today, that you're outside the will of God. Being inside the will of God and using your time and for what he's purposed you to do is where you want to be. But look at this. I found it interesting. Verse 1 of chapter 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now we know when we fast forward to the end of John, the end of the gospel, the Jews are going to kill him. That was part of God's plan, Jesus to be crucified. This is already happening in chapter 7. Now the Jews' feast of the booth was at hand. It's a religious festival that everybody goes and, and does, the good Jews do. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, remember where, where people want to kill you, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him at that time. Verse 6, and Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Now look at this. You go up to the feast. You go up to the church house. You go up to the religious festival. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. 
And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Jesus skipped church. Now, we know, because when we read other passages of Scripture, we see multiple times that Jesus was in the synagogue church, as was his custom, as was his habit. So let's not take this passage and be like, I knew we should have gone to the lake. You know, that's not the point. But the point was, for what God had called Jesus to do at that moment, for the purposes that he was to accomplish, the crucifixion, the resurrection, for the salvation of mankind, to go to the religious festival at that moment when they were trying to kill him before it was time to be killed would have been counterproductive what God had called him to do. So Jesus' time was not used in just, hey, we're going to show up at church because that's what spiritual people do. His time was used to accomplish the purposes that God gave him to accomplish. Should you be in church? Absolutely. And I'm not saying that as a pastor. I'm saying that as what research says will be the effect on your children and grandchildren. So absolutely. But it's not about, okay, Lord, I've got to use every moment of spare time to to go find some spiritual thing that I need to do so I can check a spiritual box. It's, God, what have you called me to do? And in what I'm doing, how do I leverage my time as a kingdom of commodity to bring the kingdom of God here? We've got a teenage girl uh, in, our, in our youth ministry, fantastic young lady, plays volleyball. And we were talking, we got this high school mission trip coming up where in spring break we're going to be headed out to uh, Tracy, California, to work with a church there and to reach several neighborhoods in that community with the gospel. And so I was talking to this girl, she's one of our high school girls, and I said, hey, are you, she's kind of new, kind of not kind of getting plugged in, and just Lord's doing some good stuff in her life. I said, hey, are you, are you considering going? And she said, man, I, <laughs> I really want to go, but I've got a volleyball tournament out of state. And she was just the same week, and man, I just, I really wanted to go. And you could sense in the conversation, this is about a 60-second conversation, you could sense kind of the air going out of her sails because here's what she's feeling. I've got volleyball that I've committed to and I can't use my time for kingdom purposes. So here was the conversation we had in 60 seconds that changed the entire, you, you could tell in her, her tone and, and the way she was thinking. And I said, well, it sounds like to me that God has called you to Indiana, it's the state where she was going to be, on a mission trip for spring break to students who play volleyball. I said, man, you, you've got a great opportunity there to share the gospel with a team, to let them see you, and to be intentional about it. And I said, but, you, but you, you can't just go play volleyball. You've got to leverage that time that you have. Like we're gonna, Some of us are going to leverage our time for spring break in, in a very easy way to, to leverage for the gospel in 40 hours you know, a week easily and trace it. But you're going to have some hours, some time that you can use as a kingdom commodity. I didn't use that terminology because we weren't using it then, but you can use this time for the gospel on your Indiana mission trip through volleyball. And all of a sudden, it was like the, the switch flipped. And she was like, you're right. And she, all of a sudden, she's getting like excited. And she's like, yeah, I can do that. I'm like, yeah, if you need help to thinking through that, let me know. Let's talk through that. But that's what it's, it's not about I've got to quit. Sometimes you may need to say to a volleyball coach, listen, enough is enough. You're taking way more time out of my life than is healthy for me. That's a whole other conversation. But there's also times where we go, you know what, I'm going to leverage this time because it's been given to me as a kingdom commodity to make the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, come here. And that's what we as parents have to help our kids understand and do. And for us, how we have to figure out how to use our time in that way. So I'm going to give you a couple of 
ideas to think through. And you're going to have some time to talk this morning, believe it or not. If you're, if you're a new believer, you're a younger believer, um, and again, you, you, I'm not talking about like, again, age. You might have even made a decision to follow Jesus when you're in second grade and you're 45 now, but you, you're still a young believer, okay? That, I don't know where you're at. That's between you and the Lord. Here's an application for you. Talking about leveraging time, figuring out, you just start with some baby steps and intentionally set some time every day where you get into the Word of God. Every day. Now, if you're a new believer, you open up this Bible, and it's, sometimes it's difficult. It's talking to, I've been following up on people. I've got to have a conversation with some of you guys too, just checking with everybody that made that decision in May to read the Bible all the way through because I'm trying to see if people need some helps to boost. And so I had this, this Bible reading conversation a lot of the last couple of weeks. And, and one girl said, man, I was doing great. She said, I was really doing good. And I, and I knew it because it, and then I hit Leviticus. I was like, yeah, it's a page turner, isn't it? That's a, a 14-year-old kid reading through Leviticus, trying to figure out what it means for their life is like trying to understand how a black hole works. Like, you know, on the table back there, and we have it out every Wednesday night. In fact, I'm going to put them in seats on Wednesday night. We print off these devotionals. In 10 or 15 minutes during a day, you can open up to a date, read a passage, read a chapter out of the Bible, and then somebody is going to write for you, kind of, here's what it means and here's what you can do to make the Bible make sense if it doesn't make sense to you. We put them out for free. They're, out there. They're back there right now. They're, they're photocopied. Put them out for students. If you're a new believer, a young believer, time, leverage it. You've got to be intentional about it and go, you know what? I'm going to carve out 15 minutes before I go to bed. I'm going to get up 15 minutes early. I'm going to find some time in my schedule where I'm going to get into the Word on a daily basis and, because these are basic spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to be intentional with my time to leverage it for kingdom purposes, and I'm going to spend some time praying. Now, when I was a kid, this is, we put up this axe thing. I'm going to hit it real quick. When I was a kid, I mean, our youth minister stuff used to teach us this. Ryan, we hit that next slide. Uh, is there not one that has the ACTS? Hit the, yeah, okay. So if you go, man, I don't know how to pray. Here's what they taught us, big words. But, but as a teenager, I can remember acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. In the word, new believer, young believer, and spending some time adoring God, just telling God who he is. God, you are great. It might be 30 seconds. God, you're awesome. God, you've been provider for my family. And then confession, spend some time going, Lord, here's, here's where my life has, has, not, has gone off track. And if you, you're having a hard time thinking of that, what do I confess? You just pray this prayer. Lord, I want to confess to you. Would you remind me of the things where I've been disobedient to you? And then sit back and watch. It's amazing. T, thanksgiving, different than adoration. Adoration is telling God who he is. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he's done. God, you are holy. God, you are perfect. God, you are the giver of all good things. God, I thank you for my family. I thank you for my job. I thank you that the weather is nice today. I thank you that I have a church. You could go on and on. And then supplication is a word that we had to use so that we had acts. It just means praying for other people. But acts doesn't work. So you can't have praying for other people. Supplication, we say, I'm praying for myself and I'm praying for others. That, that, we do good at that, right? We have a limitless list of what we want to ask God for. If you're a young believer, get into the Word, get into prayer. I had a picture of Jason Witten up there. I, I was at a, at, at a church at a kind of, one interview. It was a, 
we went as a staff up to a church up in the Metroplex to kind of talk to them about, this was years ago, about a, a type of worship service they were doing. And so we're sitting in this like greeting room up in the Metroplex and, and we're waiting on their staff to get there. They're going to greet us and we're going to meet them, talk, tour some stuff, go eat dinner. And, and somebody's with me and they go, Jason Witten just walked by. This is Saturday. And I went, no, no. And so I walk out into the hallway and I look down. Jason Witten is a ginormous man. He and his wife are checking their kids into the nursery there. And I'm looking down the hallway, and Jason Witten, one of the greatest tight ends ever to wear a Dallas Cowboy jersey, is standing there, and it was like the Shekinah glory of God had fallen on the moment. <laughs> and I'm like looking in at the meeting that I need to be at, and Jason Witten, and I'm having these, this, 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 this conversation in my head, what does it look like when someone accosts him while he's checking his kids into the nursery, like, Mr. Witten, sir, could I go to church with you tonight? Like, you know. <laughs> And so with better judgment, a tear came to my eye and I walked back in and never got to meet Jason Witten. But, I mean, again, what if I had, and I mean, in, in a dream scenario, Jason was like, you should come to church with us. And afterwards, forget your church staff, let's all go to dinner. I'll call up some of the guys and come to team dinner. I got an extra room in my house you can move into if you want to live here in Dallas with all the cowboys live at my house. We could all just, or I mean, I might not have a wife and kids anymore. I might have been in Dallas. Cowboys. That moment, uh, you know, if that had happened, Jason Witten called me, hey, you want to hang out? If Jason Witten called me right now, which he wouldn't because he's going to play Cleveland here in a little bit. If he called and said, hey, do you want to go to lunch right now? I'm not kidding. In a moment of honesty, I would turn this mic off and you'd have small group questions and I'd be out the door. Listen to it on Thursday. What we're talking about, though, I mean, the, the guy who created Jason Witten is going, I want to spend some time with you. The guy who, who made Jason Witten's hands, the guy who made all of the Dallas Cowboys, the guy who made the universe, is going, I want to spend time with you. I would run out the door for Jason Witten, but I find it difficult to carve out 15 minutes sometimes to spend time with the creator of the universe. Isn't that crazy? It's about intentionality. It's about purpose to go, you know what? I'm going to leverage my time for kingdom purposes. And as a new believer, that kingdom purpose is, is very important for you to get into the Word and spend some time praying. If you're a more mature believer, here's what I want to ask you to do this week as kind of assign, as an assignment. Would you, because hopefully you're doing that already, you're spending time with the Lord. Would you be looking at your schedule, the things that you do on a day in and day out business and and find ways to take the time that you're spending on whatever and leverage it for the kingdom, to love God. Meaning, if you work out, maybe you work out and you use that time to listen to podcasts or something like that to feed your soul. If you've got to commute to work, maybe you do that, or maybe you just make the decision, hey, a couple times a week, doesn't be every day, a couple times a week, I'm going to download some worship music that I love, and I'm going to make Mondays and Thursdays a worship concert for me and the Lord while, I'll drive, while I drive to work. You're already using that time, leveraging it for, for kingdom purposes. I used to do that on the treadmill, put in podcasts and, and listen to somebody teach the word while I was, I mean, it was that 
or watch HGTV with no sound. Those are my, you know, made so much, so much more sense to leverage that time for kingdom. Things that you're already doing to love people. When you're driving your kids somewhere and you're sitting, waiting for them to come out of the friend's house, you're waiting for them to come out of practice. What, what, what if you just used your phone to leverage that time to encourage people? And you pray for somebody and you send them a text, hey, I just want you to know I prayed for you. You're already there. You're just leveraging the time for kingdom purposes. Talking about love God, love people, and help others do the same. Maybe you need to be intentional and leverage some of your time to disciple somebody that's not as far as you. Or maybe, maybe you need to leverage some time each day to have some spiritual conversations at home with your kids. Maybe you need to carve out some time or maybe you can figure out how to do it in the flow of life as it goes. But taking the time that God has given us and being purposeful with it to accomplish the purposes that he's called for us to do. I'm close with this story and then we'll have some time to talk. Houston International Airport was doing a study because they were getting hammered by people that said, that complaining, hey, when we wait for our baggage claim, baggage claim for our bags, we wait way too long. And they were, uh, the Inter- Houston International was getting, getting complaints, but they were also kind of trying to figure out how to do best practices. And that was kind of the thing that rose to the top hour, that the wait between the, someone getting off the plane and getting to the baggage claim and the bags getting there is long. So they started hiring more people. They started improving their practices. The industry standard is an eight-minute wait. So if you've waited less than eight minutes when you're picking up your bags, that airport's doing well. It's over eight. They're not doing so well. So Houston got it down to underneath the industry average. The bag, people were waiting less than eight minutes. And they kept getting people to complain. People kept complaining even though it was seven minutes and six minutes. So here's what they did. They moved the baggage claim further away from the gates. And guess what happened to the complaints? They started to disappear. Because people were using their time instead of waiting, walking to the baggage claim. And they got there and all of a sudden, hey, it only took three minutes to get my bags. It took me five extra minutes longer to walk here. You see what's happening here? Anybody kind of mad about this? Like, like how did I fall for that? Like, now, now I'm angry about it. Now I'm going to be like, I'm going to time how long it takes me to walk from the gate. Now I'm angry. What, what if a believer was different? What if a believer looked different than the average person who complained about an eight-minute wait for their bags because a believer said, you know what? Time is a kingdom commodity, and I've got eight minutes here to pray for the people around me. I've got eight minutes here to read a passage of Scripture. I've got eight minutes here to text some loved ones to, to say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I love you. I, well, you have eight minutes to, to do something that matters to the kingdom of God rather than wait and complain. You see the difference between a believer who believes, a follower of Jesus who believes that time is a commodity of God versus time is something for me to spend every minute of. It's a total game changer. I challenge you this week to start thinking of time as a gift that God's given you to be used for a purpose. Let's pray.